listeners, and welcome to the Yi Medicine Show, a podcast for practitioners of acupuncture, Chinese medicine, and classical East Asian medicine. I'm your host, Elise Tara, and I am here with Ryan Longenecker from Avenue Acupuncture. Hello, Ryan. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. So I like to get my guests to introduce themselves. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Longenecker, my clinic's Avenue Acupuncture, practicing since 2008, so that's like 11 years now. And uh, my clinical focus on degenerative eye diseases. Degenerative eye diseases. Wow. Is that how you built your practice? No, I only got into it recently, past maybe four or five years. Yeah. And um, it's just, I think like most people, you kind of fall into it. This one was from a patient request, pretty much. And uh, what I love about it is that I never knew we could do much for eyes. I mean, in school, like most people, we learn, you know, liver connects to the eyes and, right. you know, kidney deficiency, blurry vision. I never knew what those things mean. Blurry vision is so general to me. Right. Um, so I didn't know if we could do much for eyes. I never learned much about eye conditions. But it was when a patient came to me saying, like, listen, I've got this rare eye disease. And um, so far, there's no drugs, no medicine that can help me. But there is a style of acupuncture that can help people like me. And um, there's no one here, in, like, even remotely close in Canada that can do I have to fly to treatments in the States. Are you willing to learn this to help me? I said, like, wow, I mean, it's, it's a rare disease. I'll probably never use it again. But sure, I'll learn it for you, right? Why, why not? I, I was taking a lot of course at the time, so always expanding my knowledge, right? Right. And, um, yeah, I learned. I thought, I was amazed at how much and how, how much depth there is to just eye treatments. And uh, it got me re-excited again, you know, because in, in, when you go through Chinese medicine school, you learn about these this weird medicine, all these weird theories you can do to help so many such a wide variety of conditions, right? So it, it got me reinvigorated again. Yeah. Uh, for treating these these specific disorders, which modern medicine really has almost nothing for. So uh, yeah, after learning that um, and seeing results with her, then you know more referrals came in. I, I'm treating more eye people, and I think, wow, this, this is really cool that we can do all this. And um, yeah, I just kept taking more courses, learning more things about it, and um, here we are now. That's awesome. I think it's really a cool thing about our medicine, too, is that we're all trained as generalists, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But being able to focus your studies and your learning on a specific thing and becoming really good at it, there's there's something to be said for that as well. Yeah. What's different about the style that you do for eye care? Uh, there's a lot of different microsystems and the, uh, the theories behind it. I mean, it depends who you study with, too. There's a lot of different systems. So I incorporate about nine or ten different systems in my treatment so far. Can you and, talk uh, about some of them? Yeah, sure. Some of them are like uh, microacupuncture, Acunova. I went to China to learn more like direct stimulation of the eyes as well, too. So I just found that some conditions respond better than others and some people respond better than others. So you yeah. have to find the fine balance between it, of course. So in terms of like TCM diagnoses, what is the most common thing you see with eye disorders? The most common for sure, liver and kidneys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the overall theory doesn't change too much. Yeah. Uh, we're still diagnosing the whole person and that doesn't change. Um, you can take more from the eyes as well. If you, some people will learn the five wheels in school. Yeah, yeah. Do you so, use yeah. that in your diagnosis? Of course, yeah. yeah. That, does, that definitely helps you. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't add iridology, actually. Maybe that's one thing I should add later on, but that's one thing people ask me all about. Oh, right. Yeah, iridology is a popular one. So um, what would you say is the most um, common eye disease that comes into your clinic? That I see, it's one called retinitis pigmentosa, uh-huh. and that's... Um, it's a genetic disorder that that, had, that causes the rods to deteriorate. So rods are like the peripheral, cause your peripheral vision and your night vision as well. So as the disease progresses, you start to see a decrease in their night vision as well as the peripheral goes down. At the end stage, then the person is almost looking out of a pinhole and is pretty much blind at night. And uh, this is genetic, so they're pretty much born with it. So a lot of kids come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are lucky they, they get diagnosed later in life, but the progression can vary for each person. There's quite a different number of causes for it too, like different genetic codes that cause it. 
What about your run-of-the-mill eye problems like presbyopia? Like glasses? And, yeah. Yeah, anything that reduces glasses. So it's funny, like, um, when I tell people I focus on eyes, a lot of TCM people are like, oh, that's very specific. Whereas I think that's not specific enough, actually. Yeah. Because there's so many different aspects of the eye that you can treat. So I focus primarily on the back of the eye, even. So just the retina and the optic nerve. So mm-hmm. that's most of the conditions that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, like, glasses like hyperopia, myopia, presbyopia, it's... It, it does work. It's not as drastic as the as the other ones, though. And um, you also got to think about where people's priorities are, right? Like, should I do all these acupuncture treatments, which might help, or should I just wear a pair of glasses, which yeah. will definitely help? So priorities become important, too. Naturally. <laughs> um, I had another question, and it I fell out of my brain. Oh, it'll come back. Um, yeah. So uh, how long have you been practicing again? 11 years? 11 years now. 11 years. And where did you go to school? I went to the Toronto School of TCM. The Toronto School of TCM. Yeah, yeah. And then you did some additional training. I've done lots of additional everywhere. training. Oh, my goodness. Let's talk about that for a minute because um, I've been practicing for 25 years. And one of the things that I think really helped me in terms of my skill set was because I'm registered by the NCCOM and they require a certain number of CEUs every year. It's a little different here because it's more self-directed by the CTC and PAO. Um, but in terms of getting CEU training, to me, that's essential for um, building my skill set, and it has been. But nowadays, it's just so easy to take a course online or read a book, and then I find that a lot of people who do that don't... It's much harder to add that to your toolbox when you're... Um, just watching something on a video. What is your experience with CEUs? Oh, I've flown everywhere yeah. <laughs> for CEUs. I started doing that while I was in school even. Yeah. I remember my first CEU was uh, with Dr. Richard Tan, you know, the balance method guy. Yeah. I was very lucky to study with him while I was still alive and get direct training from him too. Right. And that course just changed my life, you know, because, you know, in school uh, we learned these pain uh, treatments and pretty much just, what's the, what's, the, what's the outline they say? Local adjacent distal, something like that for pain. And, you know, you, we're in, we're in, I'm in clinic this time, too. I'm treating patients as, like, an intern. Yeah. And it's, oh, after, like, six treatments, you know what? I think I'm starting to feel better. I think my shoulder's getting better. And then you take this balance method thing, and then two minutes later, I'm definitely feeling 100% improvement. You're like, wow, this is the power of TCM that I've heard about. Right. And uh, putting weird points, using weird point locations, getting immediate results, like, that's the magic of TCM. So yeah. that inspired me to go, okay, there's more than just the stuff you teach in school. And, um, and then, you know, you find out afterwards that this is more like the... People's Republic Chinese medicine. Right. It's what's been like government mandated. So you find all these other lineages. But I didn't know that while I was in school. So I opened my eyes as to the other branches and strains of TCM. Yeah, TCM itself, like traditional Chinese medicine, really has only been around for about 70 years. That's right, yeah. Um, and it's a combination of uh, more of the elite uh, physician, the Ruyi of uh, the late Qing period, who kind of rolled, rolled the ball on that one. And so a lot of the other traditions that weren't kind of respected by the elite providers didn't really get incorporated or any of the traditions from outside of mainland China. And yeah, I'm a total fan of distal point needling techniques like Richard Tan's. I, I also got, that was the first thing I did when I graduated mm. as well. Um, Again, because it's really great to be able to give the patient some relief when they get off the table, you know, being able to see that immediate change. And it's a shame they don't teach that in school mm-hmm. um, because w- who are our main competitors in the field once we get out there with our practices are people who are treating pain. And pain in, in TCM is only what, maybe 25% of what we learn how to do? 
Yeah, it seemed minimal training in school. Yeah, and so it would. I think personally, it would be really great to give some student give students an additional training in that, so that they can be competitive when they come out of school. Not to put down like the cold diseases or the warm diseases styles, but I find that pain is what people are coming to see us for, not infectious disease. Yeah, but it is kind of the dilemma of TCM, isn't it? Do we get do we still respect the traditions or do we push forward with the more like modern day diseases, right? Right. Like we'd ever learn about text thumb or carpal tunnel or <laughs> those are the things just like ninety percent of what we're seeing now sure, too. Sure. Like all these like phone related disorders. But yeah, do we do we stick with the cold diseases? I mean they definitely have their place, but what's the ratio I guess in school, right? Right. That's the hard thing. Yeah. Um you were practicing before regulation came to effect, right? Yeah, I got grandfathered in, I was fortunate. Yeah. So what was it like for you as Ontario went through that whole process? Were, did, um, were you a part of it at all? Or? Yeah, the transition was bad. Yeah. But uh, before that, it was really easy to get a license. You only needed like, I think it was 400 hours. And then you just apply for it and you get it. Yeah. And uh, there was no test or anything. So it was really easy to get in, but it was too easy because yeah. people were just practicing out of nowhere. So I was practicing in my second year of school on my four-year program. Right. I was in like semester five or something like that. And I already got a job at a, a few motor vehicle rehab clinics, which is great. It's a good, good experience. Sure. Uh, dealing with patients one-on-one as well, too. It was a lot of tweena and cupping and non-needle techniques because a lot of them just didn't want needles. Yeah. There was a lot of in- insurance fraud going on, too. So it, it's not fun to be part of that cog in the wheel. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm out, of, I'm out of that. But it was great to be uh, just exposed and in the clinic and actually using things you're learning. So I help, I feel it helped me uh, set up front. When I actually graduated, then I was more prepared for the practice management part of it as well, too. Right. Um, regulation, yeah, that was difficult. I mean, the, the college was really bogged down with applications when we first had it. So I applied for my grandfather um, about... Well, a good year in advance, at least, which is what they recommended. So probably a year and six months. And uh, they still missed the boat. And I was without a license for a good three or four months. So I had to quit my clinic that I was working at at the time. And uh, I worked as a landscaper for three or four months just because, like, I couldn't practice. So I wouldn't sit at home and do nothing either. Though. Yeah. So kind of slowed me down. But you co- it's okay. Up. College is back up and running now. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I had to practice in Ottawa for seven years before I moved to Arizona. I yeah. left in 2006 and I actually participated in the uh, regulatory process when right. I was still here. Um, I presented uh, an argument for regulation uh, for the Ministry of Health and uh, they still wouldn't accept my previous practice. So like you, I've been waiting to... <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's been two years now since I've practiced oh. needling, but I'm, I love the fact that I can stay in the profession by teaching and doing things like this podcast because it's it's really important. Yeah. I, I'm really passionate about this medicine. You're staying sharp. Yeah, trying to anyway. What are the tools in your toolbox? Do you just use acupuncture? Do you do Twina? Do you do herbs? Well, that's the four pillars I'm using. So <laughs> yeah, body works one of them with acupuncture. Yeah. And uh, I use a lot of electroacupuncture as well. For the eye treatments? For eye treatments, for pain treatments, anything. I, I like to add electro for almost anything I do. Yeah? I just find it works way better. Whatever you're doing, just add electro, it's going to make it even better. Nice. Because what is chi, right? Pretty much. Part of it is electrons, <laughs> electricity, and flow. So uh, electricity, you know, in a way, gives it a little bit at an extra movement, in a sense. Extra movement, absolutely. Extra stimulation. Yeah. Everything. I mean, I think if the, the ancients talk about in the classics, we're all talking about all these manipulation techniques and add moxibustion, add, you know, rolling, add 
finger pushing meditation, those kind of things. Anything they're trying to do to add more stimulation to these points, they are. So if they have electricity, they definitely add it in. Yeah, it's just and I use laser as well too, another, another stimulation method. Yeah. So yeah, stimulate these points as much as you can. Yeah, any way that you can produce chi transformation. Absolutely. And then uh, once you get into the research of the electrode too, you find out it has all these like um, neuropeptide release and transmitter release as well. And uh, these are direct measurable results too. Yeah. So this is great because you can definitely do like double blind studies, whereas just acupuncture alone is hard to do these studies with, right? And research can be very difficult. Yeah. I, I know that uh, the approach to re research is starting to change. We're starting to acknowledge the benefit or the reality of evidence-based mm -hmm. um, and as the reason why the scientific method applied to acupuncture research isn't as effective is because each treatment is independent, right? You can't say, okay, we're going to do this treatment protocol on everybody for knee osteoarthritis and then measure the results. Because yeah, I hate that. I mean, there's the most famous study is this like lower back pain case. I think it was done in Germany. It was yeah. the biggest one ever. They had like 4,000 lower back pain cases. But yeah, they use the same protocol for everybody. And then we're astounded that only like it was about just as good as placebo or sham, I think, but it, it didn't help the profession at all. Yeah. But it was also just general protocol. And then, yeah, back pain treatments at the clinic now. We're doing something different with every person. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. most people do as well. Yeah, because how can you not? Oh, there's so many cases of back pain. <laughs> Tell me about your practice. What's your practice like? Yeah, it's uh, not too big, just 750 square feet, but I got a good four or five rooms, which equates to about six treatment room tr tr chairs and tables. Yeah. Um, we see about 80, 100 patients a week, and about half of those are eye cases. The other, the other half are like miscellaneous, mostly pain, mm -hmm. some fertility as well, too. But yeah, trying to focus on the eye diseases, definitely. How big is your staff? Uh, I have one front desk and I have one associate, Brendan Dolan. He works with me as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent practitioner. Wow, it sounds like the clinic I used to have. I had a six treatment room clinic in Arizona. Boy, was that ever great. I miss that. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice <laughs> I miss, to have space. I miss having the space and I miss being busy. I miss being able to do all of that. Yeah, I could never do the one treatment room again. <sighs> right, because what do you do after you get the needles in? Yeah, you just kill time and you lose your momentum. Yeah. Yeah, now how to explain that to students so that they understand the benefits of... Well, they need the one treatment room at, at, the first, at first. I remember being overwhelmed at first. Yeah. Because you got to sit there and then diagnose this case for a good 20, 30 minutes. Ah, Come up with that's right. Come cheese stagnation. That's right, TCM. <laughs> right, with, uh, with the, the way I was taught with Japanese style or classical style, it's very palpatory. So you do mm -hmm. your diagnosis while you're doing the treatment. So it does kind of speed things up a little bit, I think. But once you've got your diagnosis, then it's just bang, bang, bang for mm -hmm. the most part. Yeah. So either way, um, as long as it's consistent, any system is going to work really well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, how did you design your business model or what is your business model based on? Like, how did you go from one treatment room to six? I think just as you get better, you start to be more efficient with your time and yeah. your multitasking and your diagnosis gets faster, your dealing gets faster. So yeah, when I first started out, I was a one-room guy, I had one room. And uh, yeah, you're right. But in between, I just sit around. It's like a waste of time. My computer's in there. I couldn't do anything, really. Yeah. Um, but as you grow, you just... And I think you'll you'll find your, your way, too. So um, I've had students ask me, like, oh, should I work at a multidisciplinary? Should I work on my own? I think work at all of them, just at first. Find out what suits you the best. Because, my, yeah, my business has changed constantly over the past 10 years. Yeah. I think it's still going to keep changing, too. So I'm excited to see what it looks like in 10, 20 years. Where do you see it going? I have no idea. But <laughs> I was always told if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. So it'll definitely keep expanding. Yeah. I remember when I first started practicing, my goal was like 30 patients a week. Like, I know I'll make it when I hit 30 patients a week. And then you make that, you're like, oh, what now? Am I Am I, I still man? have all this energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I can do more. Bring who, it. Who would have thought I'm not burnt out? <laughs> what do you do when you're not doing acupuncture? Oh, in the summer, I love sailing. In yeah. the winter, I like snowboarding. 
And then I just play with my dog a lot now. Yeah. What kind of dog do you have? <laughs> it's a golden doodle. Oh, that's cool. I love bringing the dog to the clinic too. Patients love it too. Yeah. Especially golden doodles. I had a labradoodle in Arizona. Boy, yeah. I miss her. But, uh, yeah. but get a dog that doesn't shed, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's key. Yeah, totally. Um, and that's, that's the other thing I try to teach my students in practice management is if you're not busy enough, you don't have the time to spend on yourself. You can't do things like take a few weeks off in the summer and mm-hmm. go sailing or... You need to make it all worth it. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have any like long-term uh, personal goals? Do you see yourself practicing acupuncture for the rest of your life? Do you oh, see absolutely. That changing? I've got a good like 50 years of practice. Left <laughs> so we're just getting started. Let's see what the future holds. Right on. I absolutely see it. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen later. I, uh, I've added cold laser therapy to the clinic. I think that's a really good avenue. I've been having fun with that. Talk and, about uh, that a little bit. Cold laser is incredible. What is it? Uh, it uses light on the red spectrum so it's still visible mm-hmm. but it basically speeds up healing it's primarily um, applied to acupuncture points as well usually when you go to these like laser training seminars they use they're using acupuncture points and even using their names as well too yeah um so it's almost the same thing as acupuncture but it works in a slightly different manner uh what i really like it for is like things like arthritis or you know fingertip issues kids very sensitive areas mm-hmm. um, but i've been amazed at how well it works do you do any teaching on it? Like, do you offer seminars no, in no, it? Or are no. you the only person doing cold laser? No, Toronto? there's other people who have with cold laser. A lot of, like, Fibs and Kairos have them as well, right. too. They added in. Uh, there's so many different brands and kinds as well, too. So it's hard to find which one. The one I have, it's called the RJ Laser by King Fisher. It's a German company. But it's more catered towards, like, ac- laser acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Whereas other ones are just more, like, joints. So they have, like, just, like, a big pad that you'll, you'll get, like, just the elbow or something for. So, uh, yeah, I like mine because it's constant stimulation. And do you do it in addition to acupuncture or is it a treatment in and of itself? Uh, sometimes I add it on. Sometimes I do one instead of the other. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, of course you cater to the patient, of course. So it's, right, right. it's been a good avenue because people look for a cold laser sometimes too. So if you just have that, you're, you're not really trying to convert acupuncture patients to laser patients. It's just another modality you're offering, which sends, uh, which people are interested in. Nice. Serving the people, right? That's what we're doing. <laughs> the best way that we can. In a way that we're passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what do you think is the most challenging part about running a practice? Uh, probably the part where you run the practice. (laughs) (laughs) The part that keeps you away from doing acupuncture? That's right. Anything you didn't go to the school for, right? (laughs) We learned how to be good practitioners in school, but you find out later, that's like maybe 30 to 40% of actually having a a busy and good practice. Yeah. I know most people think if I'm good, I'm just going to get referrals from patients. doesn't really work like that, does it? Right. Yeah, sometimes you find that, like, the patients you gave miracles results for, they didn't tell anyone. And sometimes you find the patients, like, you got nothing for, they refer you the most people. So that, but you can't depend on word of mouth either, can you? Maybe later on down the road, once you're treating a few thousand people. Right. But in the beginning, word of mouth is going to be nothing for you. So yeah, how to do proper marketing and how to do practice management, how to do internal marketing, that's important as well. Uh, your finances, your accounting, that all becomes important. you got to have a plan, definitely. Yeah. If you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. So practice management, absolutely. Do you have any particular, like if you had one tip to give to a new practitioner just starting out, what would it be? One tip. Hard to narrow it down to one. One good, okay, one, one good tip. One good tip <laughs> would be uh, go paperless day one. Go paperless day one. Yeah. Why did, how did that benefit you? It's just all within just my hard drive and within the cloud now, so I can access it from anywhere. Records don't get lost. Nothing gets lost in a fire. You're not going to lose in the shuffle. Right. Things don't get ruined with tea damage or water damage. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all accessible. Much easier, too. More efficient as well, too. I would agree with you on that. Yeah, you're going to save with like real estate because you don't need to hold 
giant extra cabinet, room extra for room, exactly. Yeah, you're files. gonna save, on, save the planet too. You're not using all these trees, right? <laughs> so yeah, gold papers. It might cost you a little bit more in the beginning, but you're gonna thank me in the long run. Right. Five years down the road, when you have like accumulated a few hundred patients, you're not gonna have to transfer each one to your paperless route that you found out was better in the, in the long run, anyways. Yeah, and it keeps everything in one place, right? It keeps Absolutely. your. Uh, your charting in one place, your um, scheduling in one place. It keeps your patient information in one place so yeah. that, which in turn helps you with your marketing because you yeah. get to see who's been coming when and who's referred whom. Yeah, you need a demographic analysis, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a preferred software that you use? Um, no, I, I don't like mine that much, but I'm stuck with them now because it's hard to transfer out. Which one? <laughs> I don't even want to say it just because I want to <laughs> advertise them. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so would you consider that a stumbling block right now that you want to switch to a different system but... switching a different system absolutely yeah. yeah yeah if you are enjoying the e-medicine show and would like to continue having content relevant to the profession like this episode please consider supporting me on my patreon page at patreon.com slash your support helps me cover things like podcast hosting, equipment rentals and upgrades, and ultimately helping to raise money to, to launch an Ontario acupuncture and TCMP association. Membership also comes with benefits. A premium subscription is as little as $2 a month. That's less than the cost of a store-bought latte. Your membership comes with exclusive access to members-only bonus content, practice management and technique tips and tricks, and my everlasting gratitude expressed on air. So pause this podcast right now and go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash to sign up and support the eMedicine show. I will wait here for you. This episode, my undying gratitude goes to Zoe Jamelli, Michael Derbecker, Scott Alex, and Stephanie Brown. Thanks, guys. So a lot of practitioners, uh, after they've been at it for five years and haven't been able to build a sustainable practice, end up leaving the profession. Yeah, have have that's you? A shame. Have you had that experience? Luckily, I'm still in the practice, so no. Like, <laughs> I haven't left like, the practice. A, like you have an associate, right? Yeah. Have you had other people that you've worked with or who've come in and turned with you? And uh, I've been, I'm very picky about who I work with. Yeah. So I've never wanted to be like a multidisciplinary or have a bunch of associates and essentially be a landlord. Yeah. Been a little greedy and like I wanted to be the practice, right? So that's why I call my clinic Avenue Acupuncture. It's just acupuncture, right? Not like wellness or anything. I want, I want the message to be clear. We're doing acupuncture. Yeah. So yeah, this is my first associate I brought on just because uh, we really vibe. I like his philosophy. I like his work ethic. So that's the only reason I brought him on. I wasn't looking for an associate. We just clicked. That's all. Right. Um, I probably won't have another one after if he ever leaves. Any either way. Yeah. Um. But yeah, people leaving their profession. That's definitely a shame. It's. It definitely comes down to practice management. There's no doubt about it. People just can't make a living at it. Yeah. Or they never went all in to make a living at it. So, yeah, it makes sense they leave, but it's, it's a shame. Do you have any advice to a person starting a new practice? Did yeah. I ask you that already? If you can, go all in. Yeah, that was, I asked it, but in a different way. Okay, yeah, let's just, I, we're I, not going to. I know gonna... a lot of people, they, especially like second career people, they, uh, yeah. they're still working their day job, right? And they're going to make acupuncture work on the evenings and weekends. Yeah. Uh, but I think you have to go all in. I mean, when I first started my clinic too, I was working at three like motor vehicle rehab clinics, which is nice to get an hourly paycheck. And so it's guaranteed, but yeah, it's not the dream. So I just, to leave that and start my own clinic, I just quit all three, started with zero patients, the new clinic, and you got to make it work. It's sink or swim at that point, right? Mm -hmm. And when are animals are the scariest? When they're back in the corner. So you're going to make, have to make it work. Yeah. Also energetically, if you're 
energy is in more than one place, yeah. right? Eventually it wears you out and you have to choose. Yep. You either put your energy into your practice and you commit or you can you go back to what you were doing before. Exactly. And that sucks because then you have like whatever it is now, $20,000 in student loan debts oh, that, yeah. that lies over your head. It's kind of like having a car that you took out on a loan that you trash and now you still have to pay the loan back, but Good you don't idea. have the car anymore. <laughs> Good analogy. Um, what do you think is the hardest part for you about dealing with patients? Hardest part, probably the ones who talk too much <laughs> or the ones who don't listen enough, I should say. Yeah. You know, the ones that just go and ramble on. So you got to learn techniques to deal with that as well. Yeah, I noticed for me, after you've done the intake and you've, con- you've put the treatment plan together, they've committed to the plan, you get them on the table and you're busy putting the needles in and figuring out, you know, the needle, the points you're going to use, but they're just lying there and they've just shared all this stuff with you. So now they start asking you questions. Do you mm-hmm. get that? Oh, question about like personal questions? Yeah, like they're lying there. So are you married? Do you have kids? Mind you, my patients were all like 60 plus and seniors (laughs) and but the sweethearts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't mind chatting with them. I like that definitely. (laughs) It's when they they're rambling on about the two things that are way too negative, right? If they're complaining too much, of course you have to get things off your chest and make that connection, listen to them. But if they're just in that negative zone, I want to definitely try and bring them back into the positive space. Yeah. So um, you know, I'll say things like you know what would be really beneficial treatment if you were more positive mindset. So tell me something good that happened today, something good that happened this week, or you can use a sandwich method. Okay, so you, so I'll say like, so and so, you told me a bad thing already. I want you to tell me two good things now. Oh, <laughs> you I like even that. It out. That's a good technique. You got to keep them in a happy space, right? If they're just gonna dwell on these things the entire treatment, that's not really clinical or beneficial. Right. So bring them back into a happy space. Do you have any uh, stories you want to share about? Your experiences, you know, patients that you've had, patients I've had, or things that you've experienced as a practitioner. Let's see, like success stories, I guess you want to hear, or just interesting. Oh, interesting. Where to start? Well, give me a topic. Um, what's the most complex case you've ever had to treat? Oh wow. Well, uh, with eye diseases, yeah, there's there's tons of complex cases, and um, this is the point why you got to specialize too, because they're going to come with their Western diagnosis. The list of surgeries they've had, there's a list of medications they're currently taking. <clears throat> and if you don't really specialize in there, you're not going to know a lot of them. <clears throat> You'll accumulate over time, but as a generalist, it can be hard. So, yeah, a lot of the eye conditions that come that see me are have multiple. So, uh, this week I had a good one. She, um, This woman, she's pretty young too, like in her mid-30s or so. Multiple, multiple eye surgeries, probably seven or eight at this point. It started as a diabetic retinopathy. She was... Uh, she was losing her vision in the left eye. Then the uh, she developed cataracts as well too. Um, so they had left eye totally blind. But then she also started developing glaucoma too. And she's been on multiple, multiple eye drops, multiple times a day as well. Um, she's just trying to preserve her right eye at this point. But the left eye is going to need a few more surgeries. And we did about you know a few months of surgery, a few months of treatment, just like one treatment a month pretty much. It was really sparse for her. Um, but her eye pressure went way down. And we're at the point the doctor said, we're taking off all these eye drops now and we're going to cancel your surgeries because your eyes looking good now, better than it's ever been. Sweet. And uh, she was pretty excited by that. <laughs> she said, if, if this is what I get from once a month, what happens if I come every week? Nice. So now she's coming all the time and we're hoping for even better things. Oh, I really hope that students are listening to this because they need to hear this. <laughs> yeah, you got to get excited, right? Yeah. Well, when you're in student clinic also, you don't often get to see the results of your treatments. That's and the so, frustrating part. You need to follow the patients. Yeah. That's really cool, actually. Um, who's influenced you the most, Ryan? Oh, 
I've had multiple mentors. I'll just talk about each one of them. Yeah. Because mentors are so important in this. That's what I love about the Chinese too, right? They always had like the mentor-student relationship. Yeah, the I think lineage that's really tradition. Yeah, just like sports too. I got to have a coach as well too, right? Yeah. So mentors and coaches, you, you need to have one no matter where you are. So um, uh, Pony Chang has been a huge influence on me. He runs the Neuromedian program at York University. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm assisting a professor with his course now, so I'm excited for that. Uh, Andy Rosenfarb, he's one of the main eye guys who got me inspired in this as well too. He's like the first eye guy I learned from as well too. Um, he's a constant coach to myself and others as well too. Mm-hmm. Um, another one would be, he's uh, he's kind of down frowned upon in the community, but Bob Doan was a good influence on me as well yeah. too. He's one of the first like practice management people I was lear- listening to, and uh, he inspired me that you can make a real good go of this too. Right. Because in school we're just taught, you know, you're like a massage therapist pretty much, right? You need to see like three or four people a day. Don't burn yourself out. See one person an hour, but he's the guy that taught me like. You can make, you can do this good. You can help tons of people. You should not hoard this knowledge. It's just the three or four people that you're treating that day. Yeah. You need to share this stuff. You need to get out there. You need to be the doctor. So that he was a good um, role model to like snap you back into uh, reality. Nice. So, Did you do uh, his pulse taking? Yeah, yeah. Too? I actually hosted it. So I brought him into Toronto about three or four years ago. Yeah. And uh, got, I hung out with him the whole weekend. It was great. Nice. <laughs> He's a real man's man too. So we got along well. <laughs> I had the same kind of experience with David Singer. Um, I worked in his system for a while and then I kind of moved out of it because it was a little too chiropractic focused. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, developed like my own approach that was a little bit more sustainable, ethical, acupuncture focused, more hippie. Yeah, the Singer approach (laughs) was great back in the 80s when it first started out, but it doesn't really translate to nowadays. And I know after taking his program and coming back, People, just treat, people treated me like a used car salesman. And yeah. I, I felt like I was talking like a used car salesman as well. Yeah, yeah. So you definitely have to find a coach who's congruent with you as well. Right. Too, right? I think that's the biggest thing, being congruent. Yeah. So if, if, you're not, if you don't talk like you walk, then patients are going to see that. Absolutely. People are smart. They, they know when you're, you're lying to them. Yeah. yeah. And, and how to build your practice in an ethical and sustainable manner is really important. We don't want to be sounding like used car salesmen. Absolutely. But what you said earlier, I think, is really relevant. The idea that we've got these skills, the more people we see the more good we can do do in our community. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's yeah. nothing would, wrong with that. You know, they keep telling you like, oh, you're doing a disservice if you're not with them for a full hour, listening to every little story that they tell you about their cat that day. No, it's not the case. We're, I was trained as an acupuncturist. Yeah. So I'm not a psychotherapist. I had no training in that. I don't know a lot of my, a lot of people I went to school with, they somehow graduated thinking they're psychotherapists all of a sudden. Like, oh, we got to listen to their problem. We got to give them advice. Like, mm-hmm. I was not trained that way. I don't, I don't feel comfortable giving that advice. I was trained as an acupuncturist. Right. And that's how we treat people. Uh, so, yeah, making sure people cut to the core of the issues, get your diagnosis, make them feel loved at the same time, make them feel heard, definitely, but make them, heal them. Yeah, and value your skills as an acupuncturist, right? Yeah. Uh, emotional labor is something that they can get anywhere yeah they don't need to come and see you from emotional labor use the skills that you were trained in which is acupuncture to get them the results they came to see you for yeah i've learned that the ones who just drone drone on to they're not just talking to you they were talking to everybody so don't feel like you're cutting them off short yeah yeah usually by the time people come to see an acupuncturist they've tried everything else Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so they've got their own script in their head for what they feel they need to talk about about their health condition yeah and so you don't need to hear that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but in terms of volume, it's so important. We got to help these people. If you're limiting your schedule to only a few, like I know some great practitioners who are amazingly skilled, better than I am for sure, but they limit their schedule to like six people a day max. Yeah. And uh, then they refer all the patients out that are calling in because they don't, they don't have time to help them. Yeah. It's a shame, 
But I'm glad they're focused on those few people. But yeah, if you can't accumulate these skills, definitely try and share it. Or at least bring people in and grow it that way. Yeah. You're also doing a service to yourself if you start seeing volume because you're going to get better as a practitioner. Absolutely. I, have, I don't know many masters who only see like 10 people a week, you know? All the masters I've, I've looked up to, like Master Dong, he's known to see like 300 patients a week, right? Yeah. How do you get to be a Master Dong level? Seeing 300 patients a week. Sure, sure. <laughs> right. So Ryan, you've got so much experience and background in practicing Chinese medicine. Do you teach at all? Yeah, right now I'm teaching at the Ontario College of TCM. I teach the neuroanatomy course. Tell me about that. Neuroanatomy, I think that's the future of TCM. In what way? It's, uh, it helps explain so much of it, too. I'm all about, I mean, uh, if you look at the, the spectrum of TCM, you can go like really energetic on one side or really like scientific on the other one. Yeah. So I'm definitely more like 75% scientific. I really respect that part of it. And uh, I think we should all embrace it if we're going to bring this medicine in the future as well, too. So once you actually dissect the body and have understand the nervous system, you see there's a lot of parallels between the meridians and the nervous system. And yeah, it was through Pony Chang that he made me aware of all these. So taking his courses year after year mm-hmm. and, um, and just doing cadaver dissections in the classes, you start to see the parallels between all of them. And uh, what's really fascinating is that this doesn't discredit TCM at all. If anything, it makes it more credible because you're thinking, man, how did these ancients know about this thousands of years ago? Some of these points are just so extremely specific. Uh, one that impressed me the most too is like uh, lung three and four, a little more, not points that are used too often in TCM. Right. But um, you look at the nerve distribution, you cut open the musculotinous nerve, you see there's two small branches of the nerve right there where lung three and four are exactly. And you're like, wow, they found these two points. And most, uh, most, most books don't even have these two uh, divisions there too. Wow. So they're able to figure this out. And uh, you look at the, the map of the meridian pathway, a lot of the branches, the low connecting channels, the ones that diverge on to connect with other meridians, those are all nerve pathways as well too. Yeah. So it's hard to deny that there's this definitely correlation at least between the two. And once you have a better understanding of the nervous system, you can then treat a lot of more things with just still acupuncture, just a slightly different twist to your acupuncture. So it's definitely helped my kneeling technique and how I use electrotherapy in the, the treatment as well too. And that's a pretty modern or pretty advanced uh, approach, right? I mean, they've only been looking at neuroanatomy for what, maybe the last, what, 20 well, it's years? It's been around maybe? since the late 50s, actually. Late 50s. Yeah, so it's, I think it was like Shanghai University. The dissection of about, they, they looked at the neurological bias and relationship of about, I think they chose like 340 points or something. Mm-hmm. And they found there was a relationship with all of them except one of them. So it's been around, it's not new information, but uh, it's definitely something you need to dive in more. Yeah. Because a lot of TCM practitioners do not know this exists. Well, and that's funny because one of the earliest books of modern Chinese medicine to be written used the language of neuroanatomy and the nervous system to, or, or used qi and qi movement. Hold on, let me see if I get this right. They explained the nervous system in terms of qi movement using mm. the nervous system pathways mm. to map the meridians. Even and like, this was like in the 1920s and 30s in China, like before the PRC. Um, so it's really interesting that they were already starting to do that in Chinese medicine. And then once everything sort of stabilized, they were able to put the actual work into studying it at a deeper level, at the anatomical level. That's To me, that's really exciting because that's where the integration happens. That's where you take these two separate systems and you show how related they are and how working with them together takes you to that next step. 
Absolutely. Wow, I should take that course. <laughs> you should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... It's uh, York University now. It's, it's Neuromeridian program. Oh, sweet. Okay. I'm going to start looking into that. Ryan, what are you grateful for in your life? I, I think I've been very fortunate my whole life. Yeah? <laughs> I can't really complain about anything. So, yeah, my whole life's great. Uh, grateful for my wife, definitely. Yeah. She keeps me on track. Awesome. And is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with? Any last... Yeah, be the doctor. Be the doctor. Be the doctor. I like that. That's the main thing. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on my show, Ryan. Appreciate it, Elise. Thank you for listening to the Yee Medicine Show with Elise Tara and my guest, Ryan Longenecker. Let's have a look at some upcoming events and seminars. Jin Feng, a classical formulas with Dr. Suzanne Robido, is a four-day comprehensive course this weekend, March 22nd to 24th at the Ontario College of Traditional Chinese Medicine, Toronto campus. This course introduces students to the classical approach of Jing Feng, beginning with the six syndromes diagnosis methods. For information, go to octcm.com. Introduction to Chinese language for registered acupuncturists and RTCMPs. This course will teach common characters and radicals that show up in Chinese medicine and discuss why they are used. April 8th at the Acupuncture Integrative Medicine Academy, aim-academy.ca for details. Integrated Gynecology, a 30-hour, 10-week course beginning April 16th with Yusheng Wang at the Canadian Gynecology Institute of Chinese Medicine. For information, cgicm.ca. Heat-sensitive moxibustion level 1 certification. This three-day comprehensive seminar introduces students to the heat-sensitive moxibustion system, its unique approach to treatment techniques and protocols that integrate with other aspects of TCM. This course will be on April 20th to 22nd, presented by the SNAP TCM at Eight Branches Academy of Eastern Medicine. Go to eightbranches.ca for details. TCM Theory and Essential Oils, a foundational class about the nature and properties of various essential oils from a TCM perspective and how to use them for conditions like insomnia, bee syndrome, anxiety, and more. Classes will be a mix of experiential learning, lectures, activities, and case studies. 16 credits. For information, contact Joy Wallraven, joy at joywallraven.com. That's J-O-Y-W-A-L-R-A-V-E-N.com or call 416-877-3960. CEU listings are provided by the E-Medicine Show as a free service to the community. If you or your college has a seminar or workshop of interest to RACs and RTCMPs, please send the information to elisetera at gmail.com. That's E-L-Y-S-E-T-E-R-A at gmail.com. Subject, Ye Medicine Show Announcements. Do you have a job posting or opening at your clinic? You can send me an email about it with details and I'll help you get the word out. You've been listening to the Ye Medicine Show, conceptualized, produced, and edited by me, Elise Tara. Music is The Quiet Solitude by Melody Loops. This has been a Pupperdue production.